Welcome to the Pharmacy Future Leaders Podcast with your host, Tony Guerra. The Pharmacy Future Leaders is part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network, focusing on pharmacy student perspectives, interviews, and the future outlook of our pharmacy industry. This is Eric Christensen, pharmacist and owner of MedEd101.com, and you're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. I'm your co-host, Tony Guerra, for the Pharmacy Future Leaders Podcast, broadcasting from DMAX Ankeny Campus. Connect with me on Twitter at Tony underscore PharmD, or on YouTube at Tony PharmD, where you can find over 800 videos uh, supporting my audiobook, Memorizing Pharmacology, and my new audiobook, How to Pronounce Drug Names, both available on Audible and Amazon. Eric Christensen is with us today, a clinical pharmacist passionate about patient safety, geriatrics, MTM, and clinical pharmacy. He's owner of the blog www.meded101.com, a valuable resource for practicing healthcare professionals and students alike interested in learning more about practical application of clinical pharmacy. He has two wonderful children and best wife in the world. Uh, among his professional accomplishments, he is board certified in geriatrics and pharmacotherapy. He's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, American Journal of Nursing, written an Amazon bestseller, Pharmacotherapy, Improving Medication, Medical Education Through Clinical Pharmacy Pearls, Case Studies, and Common Sense, and has helped thousands of nurses, pharmacists, and prescribers become better at medication management. Welcome to the Pharmacy Podcast. Hey, it's great to be here, Tony. Thanks for the invite. Uh, I know we've had you on a couple of times, but we seem to wait two years between each session. Uh, so let's just start with uh, uh, everyone's leadership road is a little bit different. Uh, what's your road and how did you get uh, to where you are in terms of your work? Uh, and then, of course, uh, the website. Yeah, that, that, that's a really good question. And, um, you know, look, looking back at pharmacy school, uh, I was typically um, – much more introverted, uh, obviously, you know, type A personality, like a lot of people are in, in pharmacy school. <laughs> it's, not, it's not uncommon. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. Um, but, you know, definitely a little bit more uh, on the introverted side. So, you know, being in every uh, fraternity and going to everything and, and doing all that sort of thing. I, I mean, I I didn't do that maybe looking back as much as I, I should have. Um, so my leadership definitely didn't develop, uh, until after I was a pharmacist. So did rotations, um, did some, some long-term care consulting, uh, MTM worked with a group that did that and, um, anticipated actually going into retail before rotation started. Um, but once I got out there, doing uh, clinical pharmacy work, uh, helping people solve problems, and uh, not uh, being in the um, glut of, of retail, um, which was just a huge, huge challenge for me. And I, honestly, I would um, stand there and, and stare at the clock. Um, that's, you know, that's some of the, the challenges that, that I had with retail. I was just waiting for the day to be over. Sure. Um, and for anybody looking, um, you know, and deciding right now or what should I do with my future? Um, that's kind of, that was kind of a gauge for me. Just like, you know, are you waiting for your job to get done and for the day to be over? Or are you really engaged and enjoying what you do? Um, and no matter what that is, I would say, you know, seek to, to find that and, and go from there. Um, so that, that was kind of how I got 
into the um, more clinical side was I, I really just found enjoyment with it. Um, from that, worked for, yeah, three, four years, five years, um, and then started seeing common questions from nurses at nursing homes. And I, I just kind of thought to myself, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't it be really nice um, if I didn't have to answer all these questions over and over <laughs> and over, the same questions over and over and over. And so I was just like, why not put them online? Well, you know what happens when you think about yeah, putting something sure, online. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Paranoia. You know, okay, well, what if I screw up? What if I do this? You know, what if I make a mistake? You know, obviously there's HIPAA, there's concerns with all this different stuff. Um, so I actually sat on the idea probably for about six months to a year, um, just kind of mulling it over in my head, you know, kind of the analysis um, portion of it. And finally, just one day I just said, you know, screw it. I'm, I'm going to try it for three to six months. And I said, I'm, I'm going to do it every day. I'm going to um, work at it. And uh uh, try to provide a, a valuable resource for people, and uh, here I am, three three and a half years later, um, still still working towards uh, trying to to get education out to people and really enjoying it. Okay, so tell me a little bit about um, how you went and you wrote uh, pharmacotherapy, um, improving medication education through clinical pharmacy pearls, case studies, and common sense uh, when. I'm at the top 200 level. I'm teaching my students top 200. They don't have organic. Uh, my book, I was very lucky. It was a two for one on Audible. Uh, that means it goes from selling, you know, 15, 20 a day to 500 a day for a weekend. And that was fantastic. But you also have a bestseller, but you're on a completely different uh, spectrum, I want to say, where you are uh, working with BCPS level uh, content. How do you put a book like that together? Because everything keeps changing so fast. Yeah, de definitely. You know, a lot, a lot of the um, so I, I primarily um, blog case scenarios, things like that. And in those case scenarios, obviously, they're, you know, limited in detail. You, you can't put everything you possibly want to put in there. Uh, and I, I think that's an important um, thing to, to recognize when you're providing recommendations and, and learning this stuff, you know, we don't always know um, everything we want to know about a patient case, which is um, unfortunate, uh, certainly. But at the same time, you know, you've got to get something done throughout the day. Sure. Um, so kind of learning that process is kind of what I try to teach um, and, you know, what to do in certain situations and, um, kind of gauging the level of severity, you know, of a drug interaction or different things like that. Just kind of um, uh, blogged about the, the art of that and then pulled in um, a lot of those uh, case studies and stories uh, for the, the book. Um, and, and yeah, people, people have really liked it. And, you know, honestly, I just keep it at a, a very inexpensive price just because, I, you know, I really want people to, to have it and, and learn from it. A lot of people uh, really have reached out to me and, and enjoyed the book. So, um, yeah, just a great way to, to get, get out there, get my name out there, 
um, obviously much like uh, what, what you have done with your book, Tony. Um, what about uh, this new uh, let's talk a little bit about this new NAPLEX. Uh, the new changes, I believe it's uh, now six hours long, more questions. But my understanding is that the questions didn't necessarily change. There's more of them. And now we're talking about a bit of fatigue in terms of case studies, much like you would, I guess, uh, be in, and it's a six hour day sitting down, but uh, much like you would go case after case after case. Uh, how do you um, how would you first, what would be the first thing you tell someone that's going to be taking the NAPLEX? When do they start studying or when should they start studying? Yeah, I, w- I would probably uh, target an area in the, the ballpark of, of three to six months. Uh, with with that said, um, you know, how much you're able to study throughout the day is certainly an important factor. Um, also, take advantage of uh, rotations. Uh, I mean, students will definitely uh, have some downtime. If you know there's areas that you're weak on, um, take advantage of that. Do a project on that. Do a presentation. Um, you know, tell your preceptor they're usually more than willing to um, work with you and, and do things you want to do. It might need to relate, um, you know, to what your rotation is on. Um, but yeah, most most pharmacist preceptors I know, um, yeah, are, are going to be pretty open and, and actually probably pretty excited uh, if you're asking and, and willing to, to take on and tackle new projects and educational things. And it's only going to benefit you. So um, specifically formally studying, I would probably target the, the three to six month range. Okay. And then how do you pick what's first? So with uh, something like uh, it's been 20 years since I took the the NAPLEX. It was a different thing. Uh, it had just changed from NABPLEX, N-A-B-P-L-E-X, I think, to N-A-P-L-E-X. It, it became electronic. Uh, I'm a very fast test taker. I finished by the half. Uh, they said, you know, are you ready for your break? I said, I'm done. Uh, I was very comfortable with it. But some people are the yeah. exact opposite. They're very methodical, and that's very good in, in a clinical practitioner. But that may not necessarily be the best thing when you're trying to get through a test um, quickly. So how do you know which what to study first? Because it's all the pathophysiologic states that you've had over the last three or four years. Yeah, that's a, a really good question, too. And um, I, I can tell you what's worked Yeah, from from my experience and then some of the struggles that that uh, folks will message me on Facebook and, and various things where students who maybe haven't passed the first time. Uh, so typically, I, I'm going to try to do some questions. Maybe you've got old exams or, or different things from various topics. Um, maybe you've bought a book. Uh, full disclosure, I, I sell things on my website, so I, I obviously don't want to mislead or, or not uh, state that. I sell things on my website. But um, with that, I would really look at some questions. And questions from a broad, broad base, um, everything that's going to be covered in the NAPLEX. And from that, hopefully, you can tease out really what your weaknesses are and what you're really uncomfortable with as far as questions being asked. Um, And then I'm really going to target those areas first and and try to maybe get a little better understanding of, of those topic areas. So that's where I would probably 
spend my time first. And then from that, um, you know, once you feel comfortable with maybe target five to 10 uh, topics, um, once you feel comfortable with that, then maybe start looking at those other topics and um, then getting a sense of, of where you're at with those. In terms of rotations, you have to pick rotations as a P3. So you're late in your fall of your P3 year. You find out in spring of your P3 year uh, which rotations, APPE rotations or APE rotations, I've heard them called both ways, uh, are best for the NAPLEX. And uh, I just, you know, which ones are the ones that are best? I know we're, we've talked about practice ready, which is being able to do the clinical work that you do. But what is NAPLEX ready? How do you, you know, know that you're there? Yeah, I, I would, I would highly encourage um, rotations that that give you a, a variety of experiences. And I don't mean, I don't necessarily mean that um, it has to be, you know, five or six absolute one hundred percent different ones. Um, I would dig further, try to figure out, you know, who the preceptor is and am I going to get challenged in, in multiple different ways and in multiple different areas? Um, you know, and I, I think that can definitely help you uh, identify what areas you're, you're good at, what areas you're, you need some work in. Um, so as far as, you know, selecting those rotations, I would say um, a variety and, and quality are two of the, the targets that I would look at. Um, how have you helped your uh, those that contact you kind of get over the initial emotional uh, hit uh, that they're going to take? So I believe now that you have 45 days that you have to wait till you can retake. And I'm sure, you know, we're those type A personalities so we can immediately do the math of the amount of money that we've lost uh, by not moving from <laughs> intern to pharmacist. And, and, you know, it's no it's, doubt it's a very quick thing. Uh, but my concern for these students would be that now uh, in some areas there's a little bit of a tighter uh, job market. So there's an explanation that you have to do with your employer who's expecting, okay, you know, you're going to pass the NAPLEX, you're going to pass MJPE. Uh, how do you uh, counsel those students to kind of get back in there? And uh, Because I can imagine that, you know, they've got to explain it to everyone. They've got to explain it to their wife. You know, maybe their kids, my kids yeah. would be like, daddy, did you, you know, did you pass your test? No, daddy didn't pass his test. You know, that would be a yeah. tough conversation. So how do you, have you been helping those uh, students kind of get back on there and, and, you know, giving them a little bit of new life, new approach? Yeah. Fail, failure sucks. <laughs> that, that's for sure. And, you know, that, that's not, that's not a heartening message for people. Um, but uh, what I tell people is I've tried to sell things on my website. And the first uh, educational thing I launched, um, I tried it for three months uh, to sell a, a digital download, a, a PDF, mm -hmm. and um, I sold zero. Oh. <laughs> that's, that's how many I sold. Um, obviously, I didn't know what I was doing, um, but I learned a lot from that. And um, folks that, that fail the NAPLEX will learn a lot about themselves. Okay. And like I said, that, that's, not, that's not an exciting thing to hear. Um, 
but uh, it's it's part of life, and you you do your best you can uh, to learn from it. So my my message has always been to those folks: um, you've come this far, you've gotten through hundreds to thousands of hurdles to get where they're at. Um, you can do one more. So that's really my message: is um, get up the next day and don't really let yesterday's failures um, impact your plans for today or for tomorrow. What about community? So online, I, I see uh, communities that are studying for the Netflix together. There are certain, uh, I think they're secret, fa- uh, not necessarily secret Facebook groups, but private Facebook groups. And uh, we are connected now digitally, but as APPE students, we've tra- they transform from residential students who have strong social networks to now everyone's everywhere and we don't even necessarily know where they are if it weren't for Facebook. Uh, how have those students developed community uh, that you've talked to? Yeah, and I, I think that can be a, a it's it's an advantage in some ways and it's a disadvantage. But, you know, certainly the, the big advantage of that is um, you might be able to connect with another student that has failed um, their NAPLEX. And, you know, how, how did you get through it? What did you do? What was your strategy? Um, and just kind of uh, lean on them for, for coaching advice um, and encouragement is probably the thing that, that most people need. Um, you know, how do I keep going and, and not quit on this? So using um, and leveraging social media to, to look at that uh, is an important thing. I, I do want to talk about groups. That's a, a good, good point you, you bring up. Um, I, I studied in, in groups a little bit. Like I said, you know, I, I was definitely a little more introverted throughout school and things like that. Um, I, I really feel like I use groups pretty well. Um, I would try to study in a group for one to two hours uh, throughout school at most per day. Okay. Um, I, I really think that if you start pushing that time frame, hour and a half, two hours, three hours with a group, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I, I think you tend to talk about other things and what's going on and yeah, who's having fun and what are you doing this weekend and all that sort of stuff. So, um, I would say definitely try to put a limit, um, but groups can definitely be advantageous to, um, throw questions back at each other and, um, basically put you on the spot and and give you a little bit more of that, that pressure. Do I know this? And they don't know that. I think that's a a good, um, peer pressure to, to have. Um, both of us share something in common in that, in that we we're, we're not necessarily at a pharmacy school, so we don't, compete in terms of what we're providing, you know, okay, well, I can, you know, I'm trying to help my pharmacy students the best they can, but we really don't see the ties across pharmacy schools. Uh, what do you think we could do to do, maybe make things a little bit better so that instead of saying, okay, well, my pharmacy school scored this high on first time NAPLEX rate versus your pharmacy school, which didn't, and I'm seeing that a little bit on the Reddit boards, on student doctor network, even on Facebook, uh, how can we collaborate? We talk about interprofessional but I don't know that we do a good job of collaborating together as, uh, you know, even within a state or, you know, the Midwest as a region is, is pretty tight. Uh, how do we collaborate together? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Um, and with that, 
uh, you know, the, the, the competitiveness I, I think is going to get worse and worse as far as schools seeking, um, you know, the, the, the best students that, that they can find. Um, so I, I, I don't know if there's a great answer that to that. Um, I do think the the Midwest maybe does do, uh, a little bit better, uh, as far as that, I guess I can't 100% speak for the East and West coast. I'm definitely not an expert out in that area. Um, but yeah, I mean, enhancing that community, learning from best practices. Um, I obviously support schools getting better and providing better pharmacy students. And what do we do in clinical practice? We steal ideas <laughs> from other pharmacists and people that we work with, whether yeah. it's an MD, whether it's a, whether it's a nurse. Wow. That's a cool, you know, that's a cool idea. I got to ask that question when I'm talking to a patient, you know, what a great way to put it. Um, th- that's, that's what we do. We, we share ideas and, and, um, that's ultimately how we, we get better. We learn something from somebody else and apply it to our situation. So doing that and really providing, um, schools sharing that information, you know, I, I don't know how receptive and open colleges of pharmacy are to sharing exactly what they do. In all honesty, I, I've never had to, to ask them for that information, but, um, yeah, it's it's what we do in clinical practice is share things. So, um, I, you know, maybe we should do more of that uh, within the, the colleges of pharmacy system. Yeah, maybe we can uh, leverage the um, – I was talking to Christine Demakilangan uh, from U Sciences uh, or pharma, uh, PCP, and she went out with outreach and physicians and uh, nurses-to-be, uh, and they went out to the community. So I wonder if these volunteer efforts that uh, you get in your P2 year, your P3 year, you kind of get a jump on it. Uh, just and Because it sounds like to me, because I've never been a clinical pharmacist, I've been retail, but it sounds like it's – more of a, a skill or even an art. Uh, I've heard that medicine is, you know, is an art. So yeah. can you tell me a little bit about the art of uh, being a clinician? Uh, because I feel like the better clinician you are, the better NAPLEX taker you are, rather than kind of approaching it as, a, okay, well, how can I beat this test? It's more, how can I be the best clinician uh, making, you know, quick decisions and things like that. And if you can make quick decisions in, you know, ICU or something like that, then maybe you can make quick decisions on the test. So how do you become a good clinical pharmacist? I don't really know intuitively what that means. You're BCPS. So, um, you know, I, I, I would say the, the best thing for somebody is to be asked questions and, and the best thing is to be asked really hard questions And I honestly get a lot of them every day and providing answers to those hard questions um, makes you better and really helps you prioritize. Okay, what's really important here? What's the most important thing that that patient wants or what does that MD want that he's asking me? You know, people want a solution to their problem. That's what they want. And, um, you know, I, I think historically in, in pharmacy, it's been, um, you know, that that's the doctor's decision, you know, and if you're 
presented limited information, you know, that's really the, the challenge I have with, um, you know, working retail pharmacy, because I do a little bit of that from time to time. That's a that's a really hard thing to do is provide a recommendation in retail pharmacy. How do you recommend an ACE inhibitor when you have no idea what their potassium is? Sure. I mean, it, it, it's a really hard thing to do, um, which, you know, is one of the reasons why I obviously support you know, figuring out ways to, to integrate medical records and, and um, you, you know, getting more access to, to records so pharmacists can make more confident um, recommendations that are, are relevant to a specific patient. Um, but anyway, that's a little bit of a, of a side tangent. But as far as, you know, growing that clinical decision making, um, put yourself in, in spots where you have to decide what the best therapy is for this patient and then bring that to somebody that has experience working clinically and see what they think. And then as you do that, that's, that's the best way I learned. I was surrounded by really great people um, that had worked clinically for 10, 20, 30 years and not a lot of people get that experience. Um, and that's really what helped me. Um, I would get a situation, I'd be uncomfortable, and I would say, you know, here's kind of what I'm thinking or what I would do. How does that sound to you? And just kind of through that process um, over years, uh, you eventually get better and better and, and more comfortable with, you know, what you're recommending. Um, but it takes times, time. And to this day, um, <laughs> you still learn things okay. uh, every single day. Uh, you, you learn things. So that that's kind of my process is um, challenge yourself with with good uh, clinical questions and ask yourself, you know, what would, what would I do in this situation? And before you go ask somebody else, develop your own plan, develop your own thought process, and, and then approach somebody uh, that you're learning from with that. Say, here's what I'm thinking. What do you think? Okay. Well, what's the best way for someone uh, who does have these types of questions to, to contact you? What's the best uh, contact information for you? Yeah, you can you can find me on on Facebook Meded One Hundred One. Uh, that's certainly a, a viable route. Um, my email Meded, or excuse me, Med Education One Hundred One at Gmail dot com. You can certainly contact me there. Um, also, a co- there's a contact tab uh, through my website as well, Meded One Hundred One dot com. So, kind of a variety of ways. I am on Twitter as well. I, I probably don't check that as often as I should. Same with LinkedIn. Um, so there, there's a variety of ways to, to track me down. If you, if you don't get a response, just try again. It's okay. just like, just, just like life, <laughs> just keep trying and you'll, you'll get me. Okay. So, uh, what's your best ritual, uh, each day to keep your work on track? You've got, uh, two kids, wife, job, uh, entrepreneurial business. Um, what's your best daily ritual? Yeah. Mo- morning is, is my time. Um, you know, five five thirty to six. Um, you know, in that time frame, I usually get up and um, I really try to do the uh, hard things early in the morning uh, when I seem like I'm ready to go and and I'm maybe at my my highest uh, energy peak. Um, some folks are definitely more night owls and a little more focused at that time, but um, 
morning with with two little kids is is definitely the the time time for me before they get up. Okay, so the Brian Tracy eat that frog, I think, is uh, the, the yeah yeah. Uh, what's the best career advice you've ever received? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, F- find what you enjoy. Um, if you enjoy what you're doing, um, that's, that's really, you know, in my mind, what life is about. Just enjoy what you do and, um, work on, until you find that. And then what inspires you? Uh, people. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I look at some of the obstacles that, that I've had in, in my journey, um, you know, in, in doing the blog, just, you know, the everyday things of, of getting up and, uh, small little tasks that should take you about five minutes, but you know, <laughs> you, you sit in your head and you, you, you just bat it around in your head for five hours when it could have taken you 10, 15 minutes to do it. You know, it's, it's those, those frustrating things. And then I compare myself, um, to other people um, that you run into throughout the day that are, you know, maybe battling cancer or their loved one's sick or, you know, whatever. And it's just like, yeah, my challenges really aren't that bad compared to, <laughs> to, to other folks. So, um, yeah, those, those folks really, uh, inspire me, uh, to, to keep going and, and do things myself. All right, Eric. Well, thanks again for being on the Pharmacy Podcast. I'm going to say what Todd did. We're going to have to not let two years go by <laughs> since the next time, but uh, our track record is not very good. Yeah, uh, we have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Our results are pretty pretty poor on that end. So. Okay. Well, thanks again for being on the Pharmacy Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Pharmacy Future Leaders Podcast with your host, Tony Guerra. Be sure to share the show with the hashtag Pharmacy Future Leaders. 